So what's happening here is that, uh, so Kapila has just uh, appeared and Kardama Muni has uh, offered his prayers to him. And now Kapila, and, and he said, which we discussed, <laughs> it seems like a long time ago, he said that uh, he wanted to take sannyas. He wanted to uh, leave his family, even though God himself has appeared as his son. And we, we discussed that. So now we're just hearing the reply of uh, Kapila to Kardama's uh, request and his prayers. So we'll just read through these um, and then begin chapter 25. The personality of Godhead, Kapila said, whatever I speak, whether directly or in the scriptures, is authoritative in all respects for the people of the world. O Muni, because I told you before that I would become your son, I have descended to fulfill this truth. So if Krishna says something, he keeps his word. <laughs> um, my appearance in this world, especially, uh, let me, since, okay. My appearance in this world is especially to explain the philosophy of Sankhya, which is highly esteemed for self-realization by those desiring freedom from the entanglement of unnecessary material desires. This path of self-realization, which is difficult to understand, has now been lost in the course of time. Please know that I have assumed this body of Kapila to introduce and explain this philosophy to human society again. So this is a theme that happens um, sometimes, right? Uh, Krishna says, yada yada hi dharmasya glanir bhavati bharata. He says that periodically, uh, the effect of time <clears throat> in the material world is that sometimes the teachings get lost. So just like Krishna said that about the Bhagavad Gita, here, Kapila is saying that that happened uh, some long time ago. Now being sanctioned by me, go as you desire, surrendering all your activities to me, conquering un insurmountable death, worship me for eternal life. In your own heart, through your intellect, you will always see me, the supreme self-effulgent soul, dwelling within the hearts of all living entities. Thus you will achieve the state of eternal life free from all lamentation and fear. So he's telling him, you know, do devotional service, follow the teachings properly, be a good sannyasi, and you will attain uh, all success. I shall also, and he's giving some coming attractions of what he's going to do. I shall also describe the sublime knowledge, which is the door to spiritual life to my mother, so that she also can attain perfection and self-realization, ending all reactions to fruitive activities. Thus, she also will be freed from all material fear. And my, so that's the end of the discussion between uh, Kapila and Kardama. And now this is being explained by Maitreya to Vidura, who also, who, and that conversation is being explained by Sutta Goswami to the Rishis. So there's a conversation within a conversation within a conversation, and ultimately, Sukadev Goswami and, and Maharaj Prikshit within a conversation. So four levels, three or four levels of conversations going on here. So Maitreya said, Thus, when Kardama Muni, the progenitor of human society, was spoken to in fullness by his son Kapila, he circumambulated him, and with a good pacified mind, he at once left for the forest. The sage Kardama accepted silence as a vow in order to think of the Supreme Personality of Godhead and take shelter of him exclusively. 
Without association, he traveled over the surface of the globe as a sannyasi, devoid of any relationship with fire or shelter, meaning that he didn't cook. He ate raw things. When he says he didn't associate with fire, he just ate what, you know, the fruits and the roots and, the, and what was available. And he also just basically looks like he supped on the ground, or at least he didn't seek shelter. <clears throat> he fixed his mind upon the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Parabrahman, who is beyond cause and effect, who manifests the three modes of material nature, who is beyond those three modes, and who is perceived through unfailing devotional service. Thus, he gradually became unaffected by the false ego of material identity and became free from material affection. Undisturbed, equal to everyone, and without duality, he could indeed see himself also. His mind was turned inward and was perfectly calm like an ocean unagitated by waves. He thus became liberated, there's just a few more verses, from conditioned life and became self-situated in transcendental devotional service to the personality of Godhead Vasudev, the omniscient super soul within everyone. He began to see that the supreme personality of Godhead is seated in everyone's heart and that everyone is existing on him because he is the super soul of everyone. Freed from all hatred and desire, Kardamamuni, being equal to everyone, be because of discharging uncontaminated devotional service, ultimately attained the path back to Godhead. So uh, what's happening here is now we've heard the destination of Kardama. So we don't have to worry about Kardama. He's, all, he's good. <laughs> he's, he's going to attain all success. And what's nicely explained here is some of the symptoms of, the, uh, uh, of one who is achieving success in devotional service. So now that his, any concern we have about him, he's off, he's taking sannyas, he's going back to Godhead. Uh, he's uh, in, in a nice way out of the picture. And now we're going to hear about uh, Kapila Muni and his mother, Devahuti. Okay, so we're gonna start chapter 25. Hmm. So it begins again, okay, so remember Shonaka talking uh, asking questions to Sutta Goswami. And Shonaka says, although he is unborn, the Supreme Personality of Godhead took birth as Kapila Muni by his internal potency. He descended to disseminate transcendental knowledge for the benefit of the whole human society. Okay, so Kapila has uh, taken, uh, has appeared. And then Shonaka continues and he says, there is no one who knows more than the Lord himself. No one is more worshipable or more mature a yogi than he. He is therefore the master of the Vedas and to hear about him always is the actual pleasure of the senses. So we'll read a little from the last paragraph of the purport. Hearing from Krishna or his expansion uh, or plenary expansion like Kapila is very pleasing to the senses. Bhagavad Gita can be read or heard many times, but because it gives pleasure, the more one reads Bhagavad Gita, the more he gets an appetite to read and understand it. And each time he gets new enlightenment. That is the nature of the transcendental message. Similarly, we find that transcendental happiness in the Srimad Bhagavatam. The more we hear and chant the glories of the Lord, the more we become happy. So happiness in Krishna consciousness is not a secret. 
there's no, uh, it's, it's not like you, know, you have to pay so much money and then you get uh, the, the secret revealed. It's an open secret that the more we hear and chant the glories of the Lord, the more we become happy. And we've explained so many times before why that is, but it basically it's uh, we're free from illusion and we're free from this false idea of who we are and we're actually coming in touch with reality and coming in touch with who we really are and that we have this relationship with a person like we saw in the previous chapter who will never let us down, who will always keep his word, who's never going to die, who's never going to grow old, uh, and is never going to give up on us despite whatever um, weaknesses <clears throat> or even times that we neglect him um, doesn't give up on us. So, but what's, what's said here is something that I, hopefully every one of us has experienced the kind of Nava Yovana nature of uh, hearing and chanting. Nava Yovana means, uh, what does it mean? Always youthful, yes. Always fresh, always youthful, yes, yes. Um, so that's what Prabhupada is saying here, that one can read the Bhagavad Gita. In other places he says one can read the Bhagavad Gita many, many times and still get further and further enlightenment. There's, there's a simple, well, there's a number of explanations for that. Um, and one is that Krishna's words and Krishna himself are non-different. So when one hears the Bhagavad Gita, one's directly associating with the Lord. Srila Prabhupada once said that, that the reader of the Gita um, can have the same experience that Arjuna had directly hearing from Krishna. He says the reading of Krishna's words from the bona fide parampara system um, is that experience could be the same as Arjuna hearing directly from the Lord. Hare Krishna. So this ever freshness um, is something that we, in one sense, to make advancement in Krishna consciousness, we need to experience this. Hmm? Otherwise, you know, YouTube can seem ever fresh. Right? There's always another YouTube video. It's, it's, it's unlimited. I, I, I couldn't imagine how many years it would take to hear all of the YouTube videos that are on the internet. <laughs> right? So the material world can seem ever fresh. You know, there, every year there's a new cricket match. Every year there's a new football game. Every year there, there's so many new and new and new distractions. Um, and here, uh, we're hearing that if we want real happiness, we hear and chant the glories of the Lord. So it's just a question of what do we take pleasure hearing and chanting about? Because we all... You know, we don't, we don't use those words in, the, you know, in our day-to-day -day life outside of Krishna consciousness, hearing and chanting. But basically, that's what we do. We talk about things, chanting, and we hear about things, whether it's reading or watching television or, or being on the internet and all that. So it's just a question of what do we hear and chant about? And maybe even a more um, basic question is, what do we like to do more? What do we like to do more? So here, what Srila Prabhupada is saying again and again, and, and throughout his, his writings, is because the Bhagavad Gita and the Srimad Bhagavatam are transcendental by nature, uh, they give us transcendental happiness. So it's just a question 
of exposing ourselves to them. I was in um, Silicon Valley last week doing a seminar for a couple of days at the temple there. And then Vaisheshika uh, Prabhu, he was leaving for a few months um, from that temple, which is where he basically stays. So he was giving the Sunday lecture. Uh, and he talked about baby-proofing our life. Now, if anyone's here ever had a small child, at least in America, well, it's even more important in India, uh, you baby-proof the room. You put plugs in the uh, sockets so that the children won't put their fingers in the sockets. You put up gates in places. You make sure there's no knives if they're going to be able to allow it in the kitchen where they can reach a knife, right? You, you baby-proof. So he was saying how we should baby-proof our life um, because uh, we may not be yet at this, we may not regularly or all the time experience what Srila Prabhupada is saying here about the pleasures of hearing and chanting, but at least we intellectually understand that we accept that, yes, hearing and chanting brings pleasure, I should hear and chant. So baby-proof our life is arrange our life in such a way it's easy to do the right things and hard to do the wrong things. Right? So it's really easy, like right when you wake up, to put on a bhajan or put on a uh, lecture or hear about a hear pastime, you know, play a, play a uh, uh, MP4 or something like that. Make it very easy, just right next to your bed, you press and then immediately when you wake up, you're hearing about Krishna. Right? And make it very hard. Like uh, one thing I, I tell people is uh, not to use phones as a, an alarm clock. Like, of course, they all have alarm clocks, right? But the problem is that you set, you turn off the alarm and then you check your emails or your WhatsApp or whatever, right? And immediately you're inundated by the stuff that's going on in the world in the day before you hear and chant about Krishna. So we can, so we can think about ways that we can baby-proof our life um, like that. So that, so that we can... Um, more and more experience uh, that the more we hear and chant the glories of the Lord, the more we become happy. When we actually experience it, when we actually have that higher taste, then uh, the realizations come, though that is a realization, and they come stronger and we become more and more attracted to Krishna and less and less attracted to this world. But until then, uh, we should use, uh, when, we're, when we're in clear consciousness, arrange our life, arrange our day, in such a way uh, to make the most of it. Uh, he, he uh, Vaisheshika Prabhu quoted, anyone know Og Mandino? He's a, uh, well, he's quoted a lot. I think he's kind of like an inspirational speaker. And I, I forget the exact quote, but never start your day without a map, a plan for how you want to live that day. So some thoughts, so some thoughts on these points? Yes, Red one. Hare Krishna Prabhu. <clears throat> so uh, when you were describing the both the aspects of it, I, my mind was going to the point that when I do something that's not connected to Krishna, it's almost like weighs you down throughout the day. Uh, whatever those activities are, it's. But whereas, as Prabhupada is pointing out in the purport, uh, 
anything that we do in connection with Krishna, like hearing about him or reading about him, repeatedly, even if we do it, it's not like bogging me down, but it's basically uplifting me, mm. like uplif uplifting my consciousness. So it's an amazing experience to like contrast both those activities and because previously it was like more theoretical, like, okay, yeah, um, material things are there, but when I practically experience that, it's very impactful and powerful. Mm -hmm. Nice. You're advanced. That means you already have that realization. That's very good. Jeevatapu. Hare Krishna. So when you engage yourself in devotional service, and especially when you hear about Lord Krishna's pastimes, one of the things that I was really you know, able to understand is how selfless Krishna is. Not in the impersonal how selfless Krishna is. But in personalist perspective where he is constantly you know, reciprocating with his devotees. In every situation, he's constantly thinking of his devotees, he's reciprocating with them, and he's just reflecting the love that he's receiving, and that's where, you know, he's exceeding his boundaries, which encourages the devotees to exceed their boundaries. So it's like Navyavana, when you said that, it's like constantly increasing, Anandam Buddhi Vardhanam. So that's what came to mind, that you know, the ocean of bliss just expands. And that's very hard to imagine because, you know, we hear about analogies where the rivers go and the ocean stays calm. But here, the ocean of transcendental bliss expands itself. Mm. Nice. Thank you. Other thoughts? Okay. So then we will move on to, let's see, the next verse that we were supposed to study is 7. So text number 3. Therefore, please precisely describe all the activities and pastimes of the personality of Godhead, who is full of self-desire and who assumes all these activities by his internal potency. So who's asking who? Shonaka. Now, right now, it's Shonaka's asking Sutta. And therefore, the next verse, Sri Sutta Goswami said, the most, so he's now going to tell this story within the story, within a story. Uh, the most powerful sage, Maitreya, was a friend of Vyasadeva. Being encouraged and pleased by Vidura's inquiry about transcendental knowledge, Maitreya spoke as follows. So you see, Sukadeva Goswami is telling Shonaka Rishi that there was this discussion between Maitreya and Vidura, and now Maitreya is going to tell the story of Kardama, Muni, Kapila, and his mom. Maitreya said, when Kardamamuni left for the forest, Lord Kapila stayed on the strand of the Bindu Sarovra to please his mother, Devahuti. When Kapila, who could show her the ultimate goal of absolute truth, was sitting leisurely, so it was with his mom, you know, with your mom, you're not like this all the time, right? You're sitting leisurely <clears throat> before her. Devahuti remembered the words Brahma had spoken to her, and she therefore began to question Kapila as follows. What did Brahma speak to Devahuti? Anyone remember? That your son is the Supreme Lord. That your son is the Supreme Lord and he will deliver you. Yes, your son will be the Supreme Lord and he will deliver you, yes. So Devahuti said, this is very, so she's finally, so this is the mother asking her son, who happens to be the Supreme Personality of God. I am very sick 
of the disturbance caused by my material senses. For because of this sense disturbance, my Lord, I have fallen into the abyss of ignorance. What does the word abyss mean? Pit hole? Unlimited depth. Okay, very good. <laughs> so now we're going to read uh, the whole purport, actually. Here, the word asad indriya tarshanat is significant. Asat means impermanent, temporary. We know that, right? And indriya means senses. Thus, asad indriya tarshanat means from being agitated by the temporarily manifest senses of the material body. We are, we are evolving through different sta uh, statuses of material bodily existence, sometimes in a human body, sometimes in an animal body, and therefore the engagements of our material senses are also changing. Anything which changes is called temporary or asat. We should know that beyond these temporary senses are our permanent senses, which are now covered by the material body. So the senses that were so um, accustomed in this life to satisfying and gratifying are temporary. And the ant has a different set of senses than the cockroach, than the mosquito, than the rhinoceros, than but, but everyone, uh, especially in the animal species, has this basic idea, just basically four things, right? To eat, to sleep, to mate, and to defend. And that basically takes up one's whole um, consciousness, uh, all centered around the, the senses that that particular body has but that particular body is temporary, as is the body that we have, right? As much as we, you know, um, take care of the body and, 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 and use it in Krishna's service, the reality is that there will be a time when all of our bodies are on the crematorium slab awaiting uh, the next the destination for all bodies of this world. Um, but here it says that but we should know that beyond the, these temporary senses are permanent spiritual senses. But they're now covered by the material body. And therefore we so, it's, we so identify with the material body. And I would suggest that we probably even identify more than the body than with the mind. And with our mind telling us this, our mind telling us that, and, and really we are very, you know, we think we may not be very good servants of Krishna. Some of us may in, that, in our humility think like that. But most of us are very good servants of our mind. Excellent servants of our mind. My, my mind says, yeah, this, desire this, and go there, and do this, and go there. Yes, my dear mind, that so's me. Right, right. And we don't, uh, enter is sufficiently into the practice of observing the mind as a detached observer and accepting the things that the mind 
says that are favorable for our bhakti and rejecting the things, right? And the mind acts in so many, what do they say in Hindi, chalu? So many very tricky ways, you know? So many tricky ways. Uh, one way it is that we make so many different assumptions, right? We think this or that about that person because of the way they dress or because of the way they talk or, uh, or this or that. And, and does that assumption necessarily have anything to do with reality? No, right? There was this great quote by Mark Twain who said, um, many terrible things have happened to me in my life. And fortunately, most of them never took place. Right? Because we think of so, the mind thinks of so many, this is going to be terrible and that's going to happen and this, and then it doesn't happen. And therefore, and we spent all of this valuable time thinking about something that was just an illusion. Just an illusion. And similarly about enjoyment, there's something called... Um, I forget the last, the first uh, word, the second word is bias, but I forget the first word. But anyway, the idea being that we have this uh, impact, impact bias. The idea that we think something in the future is going to really bring us happiness, and we think that impact is greater than it actually is. So it's all here, right? And, you know, um, millions and hundreds and millions, well, hundreds, yeah, hundreds of millions of children experienced that at Christmas time, just a, lot, a few weeks ago, right? That they just think this toy, this gift, right? And then by now, it's mid-January, it's up on a shelf somewhere collecting dust, never to be seen again, right? So the impact we have, so, and it's, it's all here. It's all up here. And, and often it's, not always, sometimes our, uh, our inferences, our assumptions are correct, but a lot of it is just in the mind. We should... Uh, anything which changes... Okay, we should know that beyond... Okay, I read that. The permanent senses being contaminated by matter are not acting properly. Devotional service, therefore, involves freeing the senses from this contamination. When the contamination is completely removed and the senses act in the purity of unalloyed Krishna consciousness, we have reached sad indriya or eternal sensory activities. Eternal sensory activities are called devotional service, whereas temporary sensory activities are called sense gratification. So this is a very important point, right? That, um, so how do we get rid of a contamination? Uh, what's that? Cleansing. Cleansing, okay. You have a question. I, did, I asked the question. Now you're going to answer it with a question? <laughs> okay, just hold it for a second. Keep, you won't forget it? The question? Okay. Okay. Cheto Darpanam Arjanam, chanting of the holy names. Okay, chanting the holy names. Yes. You were going to say something, Manji? Yes? Hearing and chanting. Yes, so the contamination. This is. Um, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Don't forget your word about contamination. Um, the philosopher Hegel, which we've spoken about before, he has the idea of there's a thesis, 
antithesis and synthesis, right? That was his, his paradigm, you could say, right? And so the, uh, th the thesis for most people is that these senses are meant for my personal enjoyment. And when someone gets some intellectual understanding that that is not working in my life, they want to negate that and just not engage the senses, the kind of impersonal or Buddhistic idea that, you know, and you just, you know, just avoid all those things that are causing me so much pain every time my football team hasn't won the championship in 30 years and, and this and that, and I got this new car and then uh, somebody keyed it or whatever, you know, all the ups and downs of life, so you just negate it, right? But the, that's, so that's the antithesis. But the synthesis is to do activities, the thesis, but in knowledge, the antithesis. So it's like, you know, you, take, you have a thorn in your, in your leg, you take it out with another thorn. So activities got us in this mess, and other activities will get us out of this mess. The activities of, and, and so that's like we were just, what many were saying. So the way to get rid of a contamination is not to just avoid contamination, right? But to actively pursue purifying activities. Actively pursue them. And the, to the extent that we're not just actively pursuing them, but we really want to do that. We really want to please Krishna. We really want to serve the devotees. We really want to chant Krishna. As our desires in our heart become burnt, or gradually at least go from like a little spark to maybe the flame in a match, to maybe the flame in a lighter, to, you know, but eventually to a burning fire. It's a gradual process. So it's activities and using our senses that get us out of this mess. But it's just using our senses properly instead of improperly. So it's really hard to really be a true impersonalist because they just say, I'm not going to use my senses. I'm not going to be attracted to the material world. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. How long does that last? Right? But if it's more like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna, you know, eat nice foods because that's, you know, no, I'm gonna eat, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cook really nice prasadam for Krishna, and offer it to him with love and devotion, and then have all my, me and my family members uh, transcendentally devour it, <laughs> or whatever, you know, <clears throat> and I'm really gonna get really nice flowers for Krishna. You know, not that, no, flowers are just, it's part of the material world, they're just beautiful things, and I don't want to be attracted to beautiful things. No, I want to have beautiful things, but use them for Krishna. Right? So we just use all of our uh, sensual um, awareness and, and sensual abilities, but we just use them for Krishna. Now it does help, as we're hearing here in the next line, um, unless one becomes tired of material sense gratification, there is no opportunity to hear the transcendental messages from a person like Kapiladev, Devahuti expressed that she was tired. Now that her husband had left home, she wanted to get relief by hearing the instructions of Lord Kapila. So, um, yeah, it, there's certainly, it's certainly advantageous to just say, oh my God, you know, get me, we're like, you know, what is it, hamsters on the, on the treadmill, <laughs> you know, get me out of this, you know, this is just so much trouble. Um, so being, being a little just like, oh, God, Krishna, help. 
and being a, just a little tired of this world and all the ups and downs and the, you know, just like, so like, you know, I was all going to work the last few days and now I find out, oh, there's a government shutdown. <laughs> am I gonna work, am I go, do I go to work on Monday? I was supposed to travel tomorrow, no, today, right, this evening, so I had to cancel all my flights, cancel the hotels, cancel the rent-a-car and everything because, uh, you know, government's not gonna pay for it. Um, so there's so many you know, ups and downs. Um, that can be helpful. I can say, you know, that not everyone, it, it applies differently at different people. I was 17 when I got interested in Krishna consciousness. And I really didn't, at least consciously, I wasn't thinking the material world was kind of a bad place. I just really liked prasadam and uh, the philosophy in the Bhagavad Gita and the association of devotees. So people come to Krishna consciousness for different reasons. Uh, distress is one of them. Uh, desiring wealth, you know, oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Um, inquisitive, or someone who's really, really serious about spiritual life and wants to know the absolute truth. I might have been more inquisitive uh, or whatever. But anyway, the point uh, being here is that it can be an impetus. Just like, oh, I don't want to go back to that. You know, um, it can be an impetus, as David Huti is saying here, because she had so much material enjoyment. You know, she, she was on a roller coaster ride, right? Because she, first of all, she's a princess, uh, uh, and her, her father is, you know, I mean, like, huge, mega person in this world. So she had everything. And then when she married a sadhu, when she married a saintly person, she, she gave all that up and lived in a simple hut. And then her husband being pleased, her husband having mystic powers and being pleased with that, created this incredible mansion in the sky for her. So she's been, <laughs> and now she's, she has a son who happens to be the Supreme Lord, and she's saying, okay, I'm, I'm getting off the roller coaster ride, and I just want to uh, be fixed in devotion. So you had a question about contamination. So, Prabhu, uh, more about like about contamination. Like when we are leading our daily lives, yes, we are operating on the basis of an identity. Like I am this particular person. Right. Like for example, my identity is I will never cheat someone. Okay. Just for one instance, like that there are many aspects. All right. And this identity per se is not of the body. Mm -hmm. I am identified within my mind that I am this person. Mm -hmm. Not per se this body could have been, I could have been a fatter person, but I could have believed the same thing. So, does it amount, I mean, it is a very, very fundamental thing. And Not cheating each other, something like not, that. Not cheating no. each other is a, uh -huh. and it's at a very fundamental level. Right. But does it say that even that identity is not what I am or what? Because it's, it's almost like I, I just cannot cheat. But what is, is that even to be rejected at some point uh -huh. of time? Or It's a really good question. Because when, so, I'm sorry, when I say contamination, this identity is reinforced when we lead our lives by right. practicing it. Right. 
Okay, so let's, let's discuss that. So uh, as we've talked about many times before, we, we talked about this word swarup. So press five for swarup. Uh, yeah, so, so our swarup, this word means uh, essence, right? We've talked about this many times, but we'll just. But because it's so important, it's nothing. It's not something you can't hear again and again. So just like the swarup of a chili is to be hot, the swarup of sugar is to be sweet, the swarup of salt is to be salty. Our swarup is Nitya Krishna Das, to be the, cert, the eternal servant of God. So that's and any other identification other than that is is. Uh, superfluous, uh, external to our actual transcendental identity. Now, having said that, so put that there. Now, we have a false ego right now. We have a conception of ourself that isn't at least, we're trying to make it as much as possible just fixed on that swarup, right? But we live in this world. You're a man. You're not going to say, well, I'm not of this world so I can use a men's bathroom, the women's bath doesn't matter, right? You know, we, we have, we have, we live in this world and we, so we have certain identities that we have to deal with. So then the question is, what identities within this world are anukul, are favorable to ultimately that swarup, and pratikul, unfavorable, okay? So you're a rare person who, uh, who has this, uh, you can't cheat others. Most people fall in the other category, that given certain circumstances, they, you know, they might cheat others, okay? So, so being uh, unable to cheat others would be generally seen as a unequal, a favorable kind of consciousness, right? A, a sattvic of these three modes of material nature, sattvic, raja, and tamas. Sattvic consciousness gets us closer to our swarup, and rajarsic, passionate, and tamasic ignorance brings us further away from the chance of realizing that swarup. So therefore, we try to have, like, like on, a on a railroad track, a par two parallel lines. We try to understand our swarup, and we, therefore we try to chant and read the Bhagavatam and associate with devotees and take prasadam, do all those spiritual things. And then our regular life, we try to live it, live it in as sattvic a way as possible. So being clean, as you're saying, being honest, uh, being kind to others, uh, things like that, following the law of the land, you know, paying our taxes on time and all that sort of stuff. Um, because that can at least complement our effort here. Ultimately, honest, dishonest, I mean, you could say, you know, honest, dishonest, even that isn't fully a spiritual thing. Right, the example given in the scriptures of uh, the, uh, the, the dakhoit, the, the criminal, right, is chasing after uh, uh, an innocent person. Right? And there's a sadhu, there's a saintly person there and sees all this going on and sees the innocent person run and hide in a certain place. And the dakhoit says, Swamiji, where did he go? Where did he go? And uh, he said, well, I cannot tell a lie. He's right over there. <laughs> right? So that that's that was so. Sometimes even um, honesty is a relative term, right? Whereas 
our swroop is, is, is fixed in always being right. But generally, a devotee tries very hard to act in the mode of goodness. Is that all right? Answer your question? TK. Any other questions? Comments? Okay, Andy? I don't believe in this world that there's really such a thing as purity. <clears throat> it's an ideal. Okay. For instance, you could get expensive instruments and say, I'm going to draw a perfect circle, right? Of some size. Right. And then other experts could come in and say, look, we just measured this with an electron microscope. It's not perfectly round, right? Okay. So that's the way this world is. So worrying about contamination is, is really just wasting your time because you have to assume contamination <laughs> and just try to exit away from it. I mean, you can't, I guess you aim for purity, but to worry about contamination, I think, is a waste of time. It depends on our definition, right? Like, I'm sure you would say we wouldn't want, you wouldn't, you're not going to go out tomorrow and just murder someone because it doesn't matter, who cares, right? Well, how does that contaminate? Well, that's a contaminating activity, oh. right? It contaminates our consciousness. I think you're, the essence of what you're trying to say is well taken, that um, especially in this yuga, in Kali Yuga, that it's very hard to find something that's, uh, that's pure, right? Even um, they, they put all kinds of stuff in ghee these days. I mean, yeah, right? it's really hard to find uh, anything that's, that's uh, uncontaminated. Um, however, uh, Om Apavitra Pavitrova Sarvagashtangatopiva Yatsmaret Pundarikaksham Sabhayabhyantarasuchihi. Now, this is, this is a very famous verse that is quoted uh, at every initiation and things like that. That Om Apavitra Pavitra, whether you're really messed up or you're really saintly, you know, whether you're really clean or not clean. Om Apavitra Pavitrova Sarvagashtang, or you've just gone through all kinds of stuff in your life. Yatsmaret uh, Pundarikaksham, one who remembers the Supreme Personality of Godhead is purified from within and without. So there is one pure thing in this world, and that, that's uh, Krishna, God, and things related to Him. Yeah. But you're right, there's always, there's always a mess up, you know. You try to be, you know, just like Jains, they cover their mouths, right, and things like that, you know, they, and they really try to be very nonviolent, right, not even. But, you know, then they have to get in a car and they run over so many ants. I mean, it's just, it's just the nature of this world that it's, uh, it's hard to live totally free from even being nonviolent. So we do the best we can. And, yatsmara pundurikaksham, and then we... Remember Krishna, and he takes care of the rest. Is that all right? Okay, great. Anything else before we move on? Uh, Raghunand, and then Raghunand, and then. Um, when you were discussing the purport, uh, two points were like really prominent to me. One was the the tendency to observe and come to a conclusion whether it is right or wrong about others. At the same time, say we, we and Prabhu's question also touched upon that, we have a self-image of, our, of ourselves. Oh, right. I am a devotee, so I am like this, way up here. 
and it's a, it's an artificial image of myself and i am trying to live up to that high standards when i am not there which is actually putting so much stress on me because it's a unnatural thing for me to be at that high level if i accept myself that i am at this level or this is who i am and this is what i am then it is more natural thing for me but rather than trying to live up to the higher standards which is not my current status mm. so it's a, it, it's all boils down to the kind of self image i carry about myself right and then i project that when i interact with others and expect them to reinforce that image of myself and which is not my real identity mm mm-hmm. so what is our real identity be sincere servant of krishna right try to be exactly uh, one time shila prabhu someone said like uh, they were a devotee and prabhu said now we don't we try not to think of ourselves as devotee we try to think of ourselves as a servant so yeah it's um we don't want to have our mind delude us in so many ways right to think that we're like this really good devotee or we put on a really good show on sundays and then we go home and do whatever right neither do we want uh, our minds to delude us that you know i'm lower than the worm in stool i'm lower than the stool inside the worm you know i you know i'm just you know this really low person because that that also doesn't when great devotees say that they say it uh, in a very different consciousness than if we say that so basically um i'm trying to be a, i'm trying to be a servant of krishna trying to be a servant of krishna's devotees um and by their mercy hopefully i can engage in devotional service that's so try to have a realistic view of ourselves is helpful jiva hari krishna uh you cannot measure absolute with relativity so in relative world you know just like the example andy prabhu was giving is you know if you draw a perfect circle even the people who come back with saying oh we looked it through other instruments and say it's not a perfect circle you can even challenge that least count of that instrument the instrument itself is further defective of course so again there is a aspect that needs to be uh, taken into consideration then this material world we have four kinds of defects so those limitations limits us and our senses are defective we have propensity to cheat we have propensity to be illusioned and uh, you know limited sense which one am i missing is four is four of them yeah yeah <laughs> so again you have to understand that's relativity and you cannot measure absolute you know krishna is absolute truth so when even people come to the temple we see that they are looking at deities with their own eyes and they have their own perception relative perception of who krishna is and if you read you know shruti and smriti means the puranas which are the uh, smritis and shruti is like you know bhagavad gita and shrimad bhagavatam where we hear as you know great personalities how they acted and just looking from mahabharat perspective the four personalities i am always amazed to see their differences we have yudhishthir maharaj he is just following dharma right and that's why he's called dharmraj and even if it acts against him he acts, you know he follows it then there is duryodhana who is following the you know rules and regulations but for his own advantage he's twisting and turning everything you know 
just like a lawyer would do to create his own case and then carry out his actions. And then you have Lord Krishna, who is breaking every rules and regulations, but for the advantage of others. And then you have Didrashtra, who is looking at you know, both sides and only accepting what he desires. Mm. So again, these four personalities, when we look time and again, they carry out those four diverse activities, you know, even with respect to one, you see that Lord Krishna's perspective is at the absolute platform. So he's not bound by any other rules and regulations. He's actually the source of everything. So it, it just mind boggles you. And you cannot you know, measure absolute with relativity. Thank you. Thank you. Shakshi, do you have a question? Uh, one of my realization on recent days is like uh, on, on everything that like there is an enjoyment uh, and everything there's enjoyment. Yeah, basically all the senses that like we are trying to enjoy. As Prabhu said, I'm an identity of a honest person, and like as uh, as Raghunandan Prabhu said, like my identity is like elevated devotee. So all those things boils down to some type of an enjoyment. There is some satisfaction that like I am like this, and you know if I get this, there is enjoyment boils down to enjoyment. That's that's my realization, and and. And once I see that there is an enjoyment, and I realize the true enjoyer is the Supreme Lord, Purusha, right? So, mm -hmm. and and as you said, uh, we we are the servant of Krishna, and he is the true enjoyer, and I'm not the enjoyer. Is it a correct perspective on all these uh, yeah. areas? Yeah. So all the false, all the unlimited variety of false egos that we can have, all focus ultimately in some way or another on us. <laughs> and instead of really thinking I am Krishna's and I'm meant for Krishna's enjoyment. I like the point that um, uh, Jiva Tapu was making that, you know, everyone, every one of us, when we look at the deity, we see something, we see a little different because Krishna's reciprocating with each of us differently according to our sincerity and our level of Krishna consciousness. It's like when Srila Prabhupada looks at Radha Madan Mohan, he literally sees them dancing and exchanging love. And others may look at him and say, you know, some, I won't even say, you know, but the person who has just a totally mundane uh, experience. And then someone who's uh, like Naveen Krishna Prabhu, who's been there Pajari for 20 years, and, you know, done thousands and thousands of artiques to them and things like that, he'll, he'll have a certain realization, right? Um, so Krishna reciprocates with, with each of us. So let's move on to we're on text number uh, eight, right? Your lordship is my only means of getting out of this darkest region of ignorance because you are my transcendental eye, which by your mercy only I have attained after many, many births. You are the supreme personality of God at the origin and supreme lord of all living entities. This is a mother speaking to her son. It's not the average, it's not the general way that people speak to their kids. You have arisen to disseminate the rays of the sun in order to dissipate the darkness of the ignorance of the universe. Now be pleased, my Lord, to dispel my great delusion. Due to my feeling of false ego, I have been engaged by your maya and have identified myself with the body and consequent body relations. So in the purport, um, some interesting discussion comes up where Prabhupada says, that doesn't mean, does this mean that the Lord discriminates by engaging one in his devotional service and another in sense gratification? 
If that were true, it would be an incongruity on the part of the Supreme Lord, but that is not the actual fact. As soon as the living entity forgets his real constitutional position of eternal servitorship to the Lord and wants instead to enjoy himself by sense gratification, he is captured by Maya. So, and we'll read a little bit more in a minute, but so this, you know, we can't, uh, Christian doesn't say, okay, yeah, I'm gonna make Andy a devotee and make that other person a this and, you know, no, it's, it's up to us. We have our free will <clears throat> and our free will is, so it's, you can't, um, yeah, Christian doesn't go eeny, meeny, money mo and says, you know, you're a devotee, you're not devotee, sinner, save, save, sinner, you know, like all that stuff. It's up to our individual desire. Um, the live, it says here, we, if we desire to forget Krishna, I think it's going to come up in this next paragraph, then he gives us all the ability to forget him. Where do atheists get the understanding to be really good atheists? They get it from Krishna. Put that in your, think about that one for a minute. They might not like that, by the way, if you tell them that. <laughs> this capture by Maya is the consciousness of false identification with the body and attachment for the possessions of the body. These are the activities of Maya, and since Maya is an agent of the Lord, it is indirectly the action of the Lord. The Lord is merciful. If anyone, here it is, if anyone wants to forget him and enjoy this material world, he gives him full facility, not directly, but through the agency of his material potency. So when we want to forget Krishna, you know, Krishna doesn't have to personally arrange, you know, the three modes of material nature basically take charge of our life. And we're like a puppet being moved around according to our desires, right? And our past karma, our past activity, but we're very much influenced by the modes of material nature. Therefore, since the material potency is the Lord's energy indirectly, and that, that word is important, it is the Lord who gives the facility to forget him. Devahuti therefore said, my engagement in sense gratification was also due to you. Now kindly get me free from this entanglement. So not directly Krishna's, that, that, so we have to understand that sentence, not directly due to Krishna, but just that if we desire to forget him, he gives us a facility to forget him. If we desire to serve him, he gives us a facility to serve him. Uh -huh. so, not, so he just makes the arrangement. So this is also mentioned in the fourth chapter of the Gita. Krishna makes the arrangement um, for this world, but how we, you know, one's, one's a very intellectual person, one's a, you know, a sweeper in the street, one's a this, one's a that, that's not, you can't blame Krishna for that. That's all based on our desires and our uh, previous or present activities. Okay? By the grace of the Lord, one is allowed to enjoy this material world, but when one is disgusted with material enjoyment and is frustrated, and when one sincerely surrenders unto the lotus feet of the Lord, then the Lord is so kind that he frees one from entanglement. So, this is another way to look at uh, um, thesis, antithesis, synthesis. Uh, the question came up yesterday. We have an overview of the Bhagavad Gita class every Saturday. 
And this one uh, devotee, his name is Thomas, he's actually a, um, he's also a Catholic uh, preacher and a devotee. So he was asking about, because we were reading, you know, just like here, there's so much about you're not your body and uh, getting freed from material entanglement and family entanglements and things like that. And he's saying, well, so what is the Krishna conscious view on things like grieving when someone passes away? Right? Or compassion in general. So again, I'd say I, I like this Hegel, uh, that philosophers, yeah, because so most people, uh, they grieve, but their grief is not full of knowledge. Right? It's for the body, right? And we, and we oh, so-and-so passed away, he or she was so young, and, but no idea that, it, that that person's a soul, right? So that's, you know, karma. And then someone may have, yeah, knowledge. Well, why should we grieve? It's just a material body. Here today, gone tomorrow, ashes, ashes, dust to dust. You know, we, everyone's got to die. Who can, you know, what's the big deal, right? So that's, yeah, that's, you have knowledge, right? But then bhakti is when you take, you combine those two. You have the knowledge that we're not our bodies, and you have the, but, but the, and you have emotions because you're trying to develop your love for Krishna and love for Krishna's devotees. So therefore devotees do grieve. They don't grieve for the body. They grieve for that, not being, having that association of that Vaishnava, not having that association for, or, or that this person passed away without knowledge of God or without knowledge of Krishna. So the grieving is not on the material platform, and it's also not this in-person, ah, who cares, tough luck, you know, get real, the material world sucks anyway, right? No, it's, it's, it's a spiritual consciousness that's transcendental to both, but it combines action, or, or in this case, emotion and knowledge. So devotees have emotions, they have feelings, they have love, um, but it's on the spiritual platform, not but. And it's on the spiritual platform. So that was uh, something that came up yesterday in class. I thought, and it connects here. Because Devahuti, on one hand, she wants to become free from the entanglement of the world. Right? But how does she want to become free? Not by just rejecting it, but by developing her love. It's just, uh, you know, there was that song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. There was a song like that. So... So it's just a question of uh, placing our love in the right places. So, we, so we, even in Krishna consciousness, we love our children. And therefore, as part of that love, we give them opportunities in Krishna consciousness. We don't just love them just because they came from our body. Not only for that reason, but also because um, they're dear to Krishna. Mm -hmm. And therefore, with husband and wife, a husband is, is it's not just you know, the, hus the average husband and wife thing in the material world, but it's also the husband is thinking their wife is a Vaishnavi, the wife is thinking the husband is a Vaishnava, and therefore, when they serve each other, they're not only just serving husband and wife, they're serving a devotee and making spiritual advancement. Like that. So it's... Um, so it's, so it's taking a lot of what we have in this world and spiritualizing it instead of just rejecting it. Any thoughts on this? Yes? Ooh. Getting back to the verse, we're talking about... The verse? You want to go back to the verse? Yeah, thank you. Number 10? 
the one that we were just on? The, the point is I can remember is talking about the, the delusion is by Krishna, but it's indirectly. Uh, now, please, my Lord, spell my great... Okay. I guess so can you elaborate on where Maya comes from originally uh. and how she acts in this world? Also, she's a feminine goddess here in this world that kind of runs things, right? Uh, she's, she's in charge of my life. <laughs> Mine too, <laughs> for sure. She's in charge of my life. Um, yeah, so Maya is a, is, is a great servant of the Lord. Uh -huh. It's ultimately an expansion of Radharani, Lakshmi, you know, that, that line. Um, but she has a, um, a uh, well, on one hand, you could say a not-so-great service. Yes. But on the other hand, it's a very good service. Uh, and let me explain why. So, the other, you know, on one hand, Maya's illusion, putting us in illusion, is not such a great deal, right? Yes. But it's also uh, helping, uh, helping Krishna weed out, or not weed out, but... Um, come to the realization that we have to become sincere servants of God and, and just that nothing else works. So as Devahuti was saying, she's tired of the material world, right? Yes. So, so the idea of being frustrated in the material world and, and illusion is a, is a grinding process of just grinding down the, 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 the more uh, finer sentiments in our heart and in our mind and also grinding down our body and just using it um, what did George Harrison say in one song? Use my body like a car, taking me both near and far. Uh, got entangled in the material world. So yes. a song about the material world. So my service is to provide illusion for those who want it. Yes. Is that right? And can I ask, you're talking about the expansion, so just with a quick breakdown, so Srimati Radharani is Krishna's internal potency. Right. Krishna couldn't exist without her. They're, they're, you wouldn't want to. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, inconceivable, but it's, it's, uh, so that's the feminine form, the internal form. And she expands down through the Vaikuntha, through Lakshmi, yes. and then into, is it Durga or Maya, or who is the first? Yeah, as, um, I don't know the exact, uh, you know, um, but Durga, Maya, they're often synonymous with uh -huh. that. But, okay. my, but Maya's specific but, function is to keep delude those us. to delude those who want to be deluded, uh -huh. to provide the facility, but not to delude us um, by hers. Like, oh, I want to delude Raghunandan. No, but if we want to be deluded, then she, oh, no problem. Here you go. This which 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 delusion do you want? Redskin fan or <laughs> a racing car driver or a ballet or which you know? There's million unlimited delusions. Just pick a card, any card. <laughs> you know. Is it appropriate to ask about the uh, yoga maya and what's the difference between? Well, yoga maya is also making arrangements, yes. right? So yoga maya, mahamaya, mahamaya in the material world, yoga maya in the spiritual world. Yoga maya, especially in Vrindavan, is making all these arrangements for Krishna's pleasure. And that also means engaging us in act activities to give Krishna pleasure. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a, almost like a conductor in a symphony you know, uh, yoga maya, and then there's also, anyway, it's, it's, it's you know, the, what happens in Vrindavan is not complicated, but it's, it's multifaceted, but basically making all kinds of tasteful arrangements for Krishna's pleasure. 
And, and Yogamaya deludes his devotees. Like Mother Yashoda doesn't think Krishna's God, she thinks he's his yes, son. Yes, that's right. So in, in the very advanced stage, the devotee is, uh, we better use air quotes, deluded mm -hmm. into thinking that, you know, because otherwise who, who could go and chastise God? Yes. Right? You don't really want to do that, right? But so when, you're, so when you're God's mother and you say, stop eating that, where is it? Stop eating that dirt. Right? Nonsense, kid. And then she looks in his mouth and sees all the universe. Anyway, she, I, I, and so for a second, she's overwhelmed by Krishna's Aishwarya. Mm -hmm. And then the mood of Madhurya, the, the, the mood of being deluded by love, mm -hmm. overtakes her. So even after seeing all the universes, she closes his mouth and says, stopping that dirt. Because <laughs> <laughs> right? the love is just so uh, overwhelming. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Anything else? We should move on. We have a couple more verses to cover today. But we have 20 more minutes. Okay, so then, uh, verse 11. Devahuti continued, I have taken shelter of your lotus feet because you are the only person of whom to take shelter. You are the axe which can cut the tree of material existence. I therefore offer my obeisances unto you who are the greatest of all transcendentalists and I inquire from you as to the relationship between man and woman and between spirit and matter. And then the next verse, Maitreya said, after hearing of his mother's uncontaminated desire for transcendental, so Maitreya is, okay, so we're just stepping out of that conversation just for a minute, just for a shloka or two, and saying, okay, so Devahuti had asked these questions of Kapila, and now Maitreya is kind of narrating What's next? After, excuse me, hearing his mother's uncontaminated desire for transcendental realization, the Lord thanked her within himself for her questions, and thus, his face smiling, he explained the path of the transcendentalists who are interested in self-realization. And here's his reply. The Supreme, the Personality of God had answered. The yoga system which relates to the Lord and the living individual soul which is meant for the ultimate benefit of the living entity and which causes detachment from all happiness and distress in the material world is the highest yoga system. And in the purport, right at the very beginning, in the material world, everyone is trying to get some material happiness. But as soon as you get some material happiness, there is also material distress. In the material world, one cannot have unadulterated happiness. Any kind of happiness one has is contaminated by distress also. So it's that roller coaster, it's that uh, um, it's not, there's not unadulterated, unending happiness. It has, it's, it has its ups and downs. We're so used to it, we just think, oh, that's, just, that's life, right? And then we come in contact with devotional service, we come in contact with the Bhagavad Gita, we, we come in contact with Krishna's names, and we go, what? You can actually have like just happiness without the ups and downs? Wow, right? I mean, we all have especially that initial taste, and, and you get this real, wow, that's amazing. So that's what Kapila is going to be telling Devahuti, that there's something, there's a happiness and distress of this material world, and then there's a happiness that transcends that. And then if you really want to get technical, um, spiritual happiness is described in the nectar of devotion on three levels. 
Um, so you even get to you even have to look forward to as you make spiritual progress to experience different levels of happiness. One is called um, subhadda in Sanskrit, right? That that it's all auspicious, just life because starts to become auspicious, and then. The next one is, uh, I forget it, but it's the happiness that derives the happiness of impersonal understanding. And then the top happiness is called Sandrananda Visheshatma, fancy word. And it just is happiness that is so overwhelming that unhappiness can't even enter. It's like if you try to take something like, you know, really solid gold. This isn't solid, it's 14 carat or something. But anyway, you know, you try to like make this wet, you try to put water in, and just water doesn't enter into it, right? It's just, right, solid. So similarly, um, unhappiness can't even enter into it when one's on the stage of prema or, or love. So Srila Prabhupada, who's on this platform in his purports, is trying again and again to knock this into our dull brains, that the material world, you can't, is, you can't have unadulterated happiness, but you can find it elsewhere. Any thoughts on that? Okay, then we will continue. Text 14. O most pious mother, how many of your, for those ladies in the room, how many times do your children address you in that way? O oh, most pious mother, I shall now explain unto you the ancient yoga system, which I explained formerly to the great sages. It is serviceable, and I like this, practical in every way. Practical in every way. The, say, the stage in which the consciousness of the living entity is attracted by the three modes of material nature is called conditioned life. So remember we talked about that? You desire... For your, you know, looking out for number one, and Krishna's out of our memory, then we get put, placed under the control of the three modes of material nature. But when that same consciousness is attached to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, one is situated in the consciousness of liberation. So again, attachment. Attachment to the material world gets us in a lot of trouble, right? Right? You get so much anxiety. We're so attached to things, and, and oh, right. So therefore, we think, okay, I shouldn't be attached to anything. Good luck. So therefore, again, the synthesis is have attachment, but attachment to the spiritual. So there's material attachment, trying to give up material attachment, and then the actual goal, spiritual attachment. When one is completely cleansed of the impurities of lust and greed produced from the false identification of the body as I and bodily possessions as mine, one's mind becomes purified. In that pure state, he transcends the stage of so-called material happiness and distress. So George Harrison, since we were talking about him, he also wrote a song like this, um, basically based on that verse. All through the day, I me mine, I me mine, I me mine, is the, uh, is the uh, chorus, right? 
Yeah, or he's actually paraphrasing a fifth canto verse that goes, Janasya Mohoyam Aham Mameti. That we have this identity, I, that false identity, and then based on that false identity, these things are mine. At that time, the soul can see himself to be transcendental to material existence and always self-effulgent, never fragmented, although very minute in size. So this is what the conscious, this is what we can look forward to. Ah, wait, wait. This is what we can look forward to. Um, the soul, we can see ourselves, understand that we're transcendental. I'm sure every kid, at least when I grew up in America, we used to like just think, what would it be like to be like Superman? Right? You can just stop a train and fly here and there. But the soul is better than Superman because the Superman has to worry about kryptonite, right? right? But the soul is eternal. It can't be cut by a knife. It can't be withered by the wind. Right? None of those things. And that's actually who we are. So when we get the spiritual realization, we understand we're actually transcendental. And we're not just some, we're self-effulgent. And that means, you know, we're, we're not only self-effulgent, but we have a relationship with the supreme eternal. Uh, and even though we're not big, um, we, we're fully satisfied in our relationship with Krishna. We've talked about that, right? Even though all the big, big positions in the spiritual world are taken eternally. You can't apply. You can't go on USA Jobs and apply for that, right? You can't become Radharani. Position taken eternally. The, the Astasakis. But you can be servants of them and experience, now we're talking about higher levels of bhakti, but experience uh, unlimited happiness. In that position of self-realization, by practice of knowledge and renunciation in devotional service, one sees everything in the right perspective. He becomes indifferent to material existence, and the material influence acts less powerfully upon him. Interesting here, it doesn't say doesn't act at all, but less powerfully. Perfection and self-realization cannot be attained by any kind of yogi unless he engages in devotional service to the personality of Godhead. For that is the only auspicious path. Why? Because if it was just based on our great, that we're all such great spiritualists, right? And such good, solid yogis and, and, and Brahmavadis and Paramatmavadis and, and all that sort of stuff. As they say in Brooklyn, you can forget about it. You can't, we don't have the spiritual strength. But the point is, in bhakti, you have the strength of the unlimitedly strong. And Krishna says, Yoga Shema Mahamiham. I preserve what you have, I carry what like you, I'll take care of it. It's all good. He is our strength. Yes, he's our strength. Exactly. Right. He's our strength. It's the last verse we're going to cover today. Every learned man knows very well that attachment for the material is the greatest entanglement of the spirit soul. But that same attachment, when applied to the self-realized devotees, opens the door to liberation. So let's look at the first part of that purport. Here it is clearly stated that attachment for one thing is the cause of bondage in conditional life conditioned life, 
And the same attachment when applied to something else opens the door of liberation. Attachment cannot be killed. It is simply to be transferred. Attachment for material things is called material consciousness. And attachment for Krishna, and this is important, or, or I might say, and, his devotees, I lost my place, one second, is called Krishna consciousness. Consciousness, therefore, is the platform of attachment. It is clearly stated here that when we simply purify the consciousness from material attachment to Krishna consciousness, we attain liberation. Despite the statement that one should give up attachment, desirelessness is not possible for the living entity. So as cool as some impersonal philosophy looks, it's really tough. When if you, you know, as, as cool as it looks and, you know, and you, you know, um, uh, when you actually get down to actually practicing it and trying to be desireless, it's really, 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 really hard. Krishna says it's possible. He says in the 12th chapter, Klesho Dikatarastesham. He said, it's possible, but it's really hard. Why should you do something really hard when you can do something really easy, relatively speaking? Right? So, um, and, and here he's actually saying it's not possible. Um, desirelessness is not possible. So Krishna consciousness is so practical. It's so natural. Have, have tons of desires, but just have them all in some way or another to be, please Krishna. And, then, and the cool thing about it is then automatically the material desires go away. I know we've talked about this many times, but it's just a good example to be used again. Um, in many spiritual practices, you have to put down the spiritual and then pick up, uh, put down the material and then pick up the spiritual. But in Krishna consciousness, simply by grabbing the spiritual, the material goes away automatically. So it's a one-step process instead of a two-step process. So it's so natural. We don't have to, we don't give up. We don't give up, you know, like we said before, we don't give up relationships. We don't give up good food. We don't give up, you know, beautiful things. We don't give up any, we just direct them in the right, in the right, right way. So it's so natural. It's so simple. And therefore, Prabhupada would say, a child can take part in this. Even once said, a dog can take part of this, at least by taking prasadam. <laughs> Like that. So that's so then the next a living entity by constitution has the propensity to be attached to something. We see that if someone has no object of attachment, if he has no children, then he transfers his attachment to cats and dogs. And we see I see that a lot at work. Many people they don't have pictures of their kids in their um, cubicles. They have their their dogs. So we just so it's just question of what are we attached to. So some thoughts on this? Yes, Prabhu. So Prabhu, uh, can bhakti be, the process of bhakti be a questionless bhakti? Questionless? Yeah. 
like I am just like for example I can be a a, a a devotee and just come and let's say I engage in one form of devotional service. Mm -hmm. Let's say I do that daily. Yeah. But the problem is that I have to go to work and uh, every human being when he has to do something for living, he has to take care of his parents right. or everybody. Okay. And uh, and when you do karma, then conflicts are there and questions are there and everything is there. Uh -huh. So the process of bhakti, can it elevate you without getting a logical answer to these questions? Is to which point. questions? Like what's an example of a question? Like Arjuna had that I have to kill, why, why should I kill my grandfather? Oh, so why should I do my duties and things like yeah. that? Uh, well, yeah, because when you are faced with a situation where you have to physically kill someone, it all, almost obviously becomes that, okay, I'm not going to kill, okay, uh, you take it. Right. Something like that. But of course, then, Arjuna was like, you know, in the modern day context, he was in the army. Right. So that was his job. So to speak. So what about us who have to, you know, uh, our IT professionals or this or that? How does it apply to what questions do we have? Like, because when we are living our life, then we have happiness and sorrow. Right. And uh, we are just in that boat and that right. we are being affected by it constantly. I think it's a similar answer to the last question you asked hmm. that we have. So we have the, the spiritual um, practices that we have, and then we have, you know, our day-to-day -day life, going to work and paying bills, and you know, our children getting the flu and all that sort of stuff, right? Um, first of all, this—if this is strong, if our morning is filled with hearing about Krishna and chanting Krishna's name—it'll give us a much clearer outlook and perspective on these other things. That's one, I think, really important thing. It's Vaishesh uh, um, Kapu was really, he, he talks about this a lot, and he spoke about it last week in Silicon Valley, that, you know, really strong sadhana for those who are of our practitioners, really crisp rounds and hearing Krishna's name and calling out to Krishna and, and then reading Prabhupada's books regularly. Um, these give us a, a certain perspective on life. Uh, and, and putting things in the right perspective. And then, I think it's similar to your last question, and then we deal, we try to deal with the, the, the stuff of our life in as sattvic a way as possible. You know, now that, that, you know, that, the, the, sattvic doesn't mean silly or stupid, right? Just like, you know, Srila Prabhupada was so upset with devotees when they were, especially they were Westerners and they were trying to do construction in India, and the construction companies were cheating them and using mixing uh, local sand with the cement. So, so in other words, having a spiritual perspective doesn't mean we, we, we understand the nature of this world and we are sometimes sharp about how to deal we, with it. We things. have to tell it that you better correct it, otherwise I'm going to snatch your license. Or that you have to be aggressive, yeah. which is a mode of aggression. But, it's, but it's, 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 san it's sanctioned because it's in the proper, if it's done in the proper consciousness. Yeah. Okay. So, um, as far as I understand, we will have there's a uh, class next week, and then the next three weeks after that, my wife and I will be in India at the uh, GBC meetings. 
Um, and she's not here today because she's, she's in charge of the Temple President's meeting that took place in Florida, ending today. And apparently I heard it went really well in a very cooperative mood and, and all that. They had all the Temple Presidents from all the temples in North America went there. But so class next week, and it's such a nice turnout. This is really enlivening to me because it's been a long time, right? It's been, it's been like a month, isn't it? Or more than a month, yeah, between Christmas, New Year's, the flu, and Silicon Valley. Uh, <laughs> so we will have class next week, Pukka. And then the next three weeks, um, we, will have, we will be in India. And then we'll continue. And then we're not too far from end, uh, being at the end of the third canto. So uh, thank you very much. And who's doing the Japa session now? Shankar Oh, Shankar Okay, very good. Thank you. Hare Krishna. Glorious Prabhupada.